Hey, welcome back to the Mission 300 podcast. This is Brian, and I'm here with Caleb, Tommy, and Jason. And we're going to be explore the idea of ownership and wisdom and how it not only gives insight and direction, but it also brings to the surface truth so that we can deal with situations that affect our life and others. All right. Some of you might already be familiar with the story of Solomon and when he just becomes king. If you have not read the story before, it's in First Kings chapter three. And if you want some, you know, Bible family drama, you can read the chapters before and see how messed up things were before he even got to the throne. But the the first time Solomon gets to demonstrate his new wisdom that he's received from God, uh, it starts in in verse sixteen, where it says that two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him, and one of them said. Uh, my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house. I gave birth to a child and she was in the house. And on the third day after I gave birth, she also gave birth. So there's two prostitutes. They're both pregnant. It's not a good situation. They're not upstanding citizens in the first place. There's a lot of drama going on, as I mentioned. So just understand this is not, you know, a, uh, a story about how to healthily live as people today. The point is Solomon's wisdom that we're going to see here. So she goes to this story. Um, this other woman's son died in the night because she rolled over and smothered him or something like that. And then she got up in the night. She took my baby. And when I woke up, I realized she had taken my baby and put her dead baby next to me. And yes, this is a weird, terrible story. And so they're both saying it's their baby. And Solomon decides, okay, let's bring out a sword. And we're going to cut the baby in half and give half to the one and half to the other. And the woman whose baby it actually was said, no, please don't do that. That's terrible. Just let her have the child. Let her keep him. Let her raise him. It's fine. And the woman whose baby it was not was like, yeah, that seems like a good thing to do. Let's just cut the baby in half. It seems right, which psycho. But anyways, so Solomon realizes who the baby belongs to. And the thing that was so interesting to me about this was that his wisdom was not to understand woman A is telling the truth and woman B is lying. His wisdom was to understand, here's what I can do to get the truth to reveal itself in this situation. And I think a lot of us at times when we are on this journey of taking ownership for things or looking at God as our father. And what do I do in these circumstances? What is right? What is wrong? We are looking for a answer that says option A is right. Option B is wrong. But that's not always how wisdom operates. A lot of times wisdom brings you an idea or something that can help the truth to reveal itself in a situation versus you saying, I know what the truth is because here's all my facts and here's how I can prove the truth to you. But a lot of times wisdom actually looks like here's something you can say or do in a situation that leads to the truth revealing itself. And then it's exposed to everyone. Like at the end of this story, you can't take sides of the other woman. Like everyone knows she was the liar including herself. She's like, yeah, I've, I've been caught. But if it was just, well, I'm Solomon, I'm the king, I know woman A is telling the truth, then you can split things, you can have sides form, there can be debates and all this stuff. But true wisdom found a way to get the truth to reveal itself. I thought that was pretty fascinating about his whole start of his rule. 
Do you think in that in that conversation that he knew whose baby it should be and he needed to bring it out? Or do you think he didn't really know? I know this might seem like a mute point, but I think it it might play into the idea of what's going on through his head as he's trying to expose this. Because there's kind of two thoughts that go through my head. He knew who it was, but he wanted it to come out so it didn't look like he was not showing justice. But then there's the other side too, that he wanted it to come to the surface and he wasn't sure. And he was kind of just being unbiased to the situation. Like he removed his bias to actually deal with this thing justly and did an act that brought the motives out, brought the situation out to light. Mm -hmm. And I tend to lean that it may have been more of trying to be unbiased so he can bring a true answer because Otherwise, you could even bend your quote-unquote wisdom to trick it another way. And, and maybe not. I kind of want your thoughts on that, because if we're going to deal with this, how do we grow up? How do we become stronger and own our emotions? How do we own our thoughts? And how do we, we own it? Uh, our judgments and, our, and our, our conclusions of matters without having a bent, but we're trying to make things go our way of our bent versus... I can humbly face these things and deal with it justly. And that's where wisdom begins is, is in that place. And so what are your thoughts on that? It's really interesting how he did it, especially like what you were saying at the end of the verse. And it's like, um, when all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe. And I think it's interesting because I would assume he probably knew from the beginning but if he had only done what he knew was right and not what was wise like he had the right answer but he actually took the whole situation and put wisdom into it because i think there is a difference between like i mean there no i think there is a difference between knowledge and wisdom and so he probably had the knowledge of the right answer but it was actually him asking god for wisdom that allowed the situation to go way better for him probably than if he had just been like well i i'm i'm assuming or i know um this is the baby's this woman is the baby's mother and so i think that's a huge thing because like either way he could have gotten the right like justification at the end for it but the way that he did it the way he got there to it through wisdom was actually what like allowed the outcome to appear just to everyone else as well and so i think that's a big part, not for the sake of everybody else, but like wisdom in that situation made it even better situation than just doing what was, he knew was right, essentially. You said something and, interesting. There's a way to bring about the right answer. And I think that's a profound thing because if we try to get to the right answer and we do it the wrong way, that by definition is evil even if it ends up at the right answer, but you do it the wrong way. And I, or it, the actual word would be wicked, which would be twisting it. You just twist it enough. It's the right answer, but it's done from the wrong, the, the wrong way. And it's interesting. Jesus says, I am the way. And he also is wisdom. He's been made unto us wisdom. So there could be something that correlates to us when we're walking the path with God or getting to know the Father through Jesus and the Holy Spirit, there's a way to go about it, even though we know what is the right answer, but there's a way to go about it and a way to interact with it that actually brings life and it brings health to everybody.
I think the whole point of, I guess one of the points of why, why it went down this way in the story. If he says, I'm the king, I know the right answer. I know whose baby it is. It's hers. Let's move on. That puts the power and the authority in his hands as the king, but doing it the way he did it, put the power and authority in the fact that the truth will be revealed. Like if you bring something to me, the truth's going to come out. So you better understand that beforehand. And that's, this is what started his whole career as the king of awe and respect that all the other leaders and nations were just in awe of. And that that's such a different thing from, you know, think of any discussion or argument, whether it's, on anything politics that you that you have with people or that you see people having it's well i know the right answer and then people just go back and forth and then when the power that the right answer had or the when the person who had the right answer when their power is gone like when that king dies well there it goes but he's establishing no we're operating in being able to discern between good and evil which is the thing that he asked for in the first place which is why i i don't know if he knew Oh yeah, it's woman A's baby. I don't know if he knew that or not. I don't think he needed to. I think what he knew at that time was there is evil and there is good before me. And I just had a conversation with God about this. Help me to discern between good and evil. And that's in front of me now. And then the idea comes, this is how you get the evil to reveal itself. And this is how you get the good to reveal itself. You just described, so Proverbs chapter one, Uh, Verse one says the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. So here's what he says about that. To know wisdom and instruction. Uh, By the way, that word know is different than knowledge. That's an intimate acquaintance with. That's like you you, you are tangibly interacting with those things. You're deeply familiar. To know wisdom and instruction. To perceive the words of understanding. To receive the instruction of wisdom. I like that to receive the instruction of wisdom. So what you just described is what he's saying right there is I receive the, I'm the king, I can make a decree, but I actually humbled myself and received the instruction of wisdom to execute here. And I I like this. If you do it that way, then there's justice, judgment, and equity. So to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. And a wise man will hear and increase in learning. And a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. You'll understand a proverb and an enigma and the words of the wise and their riddles. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And I just, that whole idea that he shifted from his thoughts and his power to something greater than himself and executed that brought so much more power. That is so humbling and amazing for the king to do that. Like just that whole action. I think there's something deep in that, that we've talked about of how do we control our emotions? How do we own our situations? How do we not be a victim or or how do we free ourselves from that victim thinking? It all begins with something's higher than you. And now you're receiving that. It it begins with a true humility and the fear of something greater. And that word fear isn't scared. 
it, it's scared in the sense because of the awe and the power and and the greatness of that that's above us that that's the fear and then we allow him to speak through us and to bring that insight that that's a that's really an amazing thought that's like at a rise to not only just kingship it's manhood and kingship is that ultimate goal of that thinking i think that's one of the hardest parts of that transition into manhood and being an adult and leaving the childish things behind because a child thinks more of well this is what i want and i want to have the right answer and get my reward for having the right answer whether that's a prize or whether that's notoriety or fame whatever it is but this is a different level of thinking to operate in this and i don't know that we're really trained in this or taught this because we don't really get it in school school is here's the facts you know the answer is a b or c and you get it right and you get a gold star it's not so much, here's a problem. How do you critically think to solve this problem and get the truth to be revealed in this situation? We don't see as much of that in our training and our education, but that's ultimately what manhood has to bring you to, isn't it? I'm thinking through this right now. So you guys can tell me if like my thought process is wrong, but maybe track with me and then tell me what you think. But um, like from especially what you said, Jason, like it, what I see, especially like when you're saying like in political debates today or society today is like whoever has the most virtue or power, like when they have their answer that they think is right, that's what like gives the answer the rightness of it or whatever. And then, but it's interesting because like if you look at Jesus, if anybody had the power to be right while they were on earth, it was Jesus, but he was still walked so humbly with that and even though he could like prove he was right because he was at a higher power like higher virtue than all the pharisees and stuff he still didn't use that to um like give the right answer he asked questions or spoke in parables and that was like his wisdom because it wasn't that he was god that gave him the right answer or the truth it was actually like him just letting truth reveal itself in his conversations and it wasn't like his position of power so like thinking about it it's like the same thing that solomon did here it wasn't his position of power that made him right because he could have been like a peasant who did this and people would have probably still agreed with him and been like you know what you were the judge of that situation the way you did it was just and right and that was wise and so i think he almost was abdicating his power in that situation and i think that's what jesus did too when he was on earth he can disagree or I don't know what you guys' thoughts are on that. I think there's a lot to that because, and that has a stain power. After this event, let's say a new king comes in a year later and is like, well, I'm a king that was pro woman B and I think it was her baby. So I'm going to undo some things and use my position to change. You can't do that because the truth's already been revealed and it doesn't matter who holds power or who has an opinion on something anymore, which is so much more effective than well, I have the power. It's my decision. I decide woman A. And like you were saying, Jesus operated in the same way a lot. When he was confronted by the Pharisees or just different people, he's like, point to something that's wrong. Like when they would try to trip him up, should we pay taxes or not? Is it, a you know, this woman was married to eight different guys because all her husbands kept dying. So who's she going to be married to in the end? And all these different things to trip him up. And because he had this same kind of wisdom, he just... He got past all that surface stuff. Was it yes or no? Is it true or false? And he hit something deeper. 
what you just said, I think that's really powerful is the one woman felt justified to take the other woman's baby when she made the mistake and killed the baby. It, it was a mistake. It was just a mistake that happened in the, but somehow the one woman felt I deserve the living baby. So she swaps the baby. If you really look at it, had Solomon just come in and said, nope, you're wrong. Give her back that baby. Just right away. You're using the same tactic of I'm going to leverage my power and my opportunity to keep shifting things to the way I think it should be right. And I like it that Solomon doesn't put his emotion into this. Like literally he's willing to cut the baby in half enough so that it caused fear. Right. So it wasn't like he was kind of saying on the count of three, I'm going to do this. If you don't tell me who it was, no, he had the sword up and the, the person going to execute, this was going to go do it. And it caused the, the mother to say, no, stop, don't do it. So obviously he's willing to, at least, I don't know where the stopping point was, but there was this willingness to go beyond his emotion to deal with what needs to be truth. And you guys laid it out how it all came out. But if we operate in the same manner that the negative thing was being done, we're no different. We're using the same ways. And I think Paul warns, don't use the same ways of the wicked. That's what he's referring to. Don't, even though you're getting to a true point, don't use their ways of getting to the true point. And I love what you just said, Jason, about how Jesus, a lot of times he didn't answer the question or he answered the question with a question. Like he, he, it wasn't that he was dodging it. It just, I'm not going to let you corner me into this. I know what you're trying to do. And I, I'm going to step aside from it and let it play out. Because I think true ownership of your life and true ownership of what God's given you is a letting go of your ego that it has to be about you. Because that's the ultimate hell is if the world is just about you. So this is the actual opposite where it's not anything about you. You're just a you become a vessel to execute things that make a difference in other people's lives. Do you guys think we see this kind of wisdom displayed a lot, whether it's church, worldly, culture, whatever it is, do you think we see this kind of wisdom displayed a lot more, or do you think we see a lot more of the, well, I have this fact, which is correct, and I call that wisdom, or that's how I, I operate? having the right facts, because there's a big difference between truth and facts. I think there's a b big difference between knowledge and understanding and wisdom. You can know something. You can be absolutely right about knowing something. You could even un understand how to operate in what you know, but it doesn't mean you have the wisdom to execute that thing. The wisdom is way beyond ourselves. That is an application that goes even beyond understanding. What you just said there is really interesting to me knowledge understanding and wisdom um this last weekend at the church we were going to um the pastor talked a little bit about his experiences growing up becoming a pastor um and where he was when he got saved um and he went to a bunch of different churches all different kinds of denominations all doing completely different things what I took from his message here was he's talking and people are getting uncomfortable because some people are raising their hands and they're going crazy and for the Lord and doing all this stuff. What I'm hearing in this is that 
we can know that stuff. We can understand that stuff. We can then understand how to use that stuff. But then wisdom is taking it one step further and being like, yeah, maybe I do know how to pray in tongues and maybe I'm really good at it. But maybe right now is not a good time to pray in tongues because there is a bunch of new believers. And if I do this, it'll freak them out. Or maybe wisdom is saying, hey, this is the time to do this because they need to get pushed a little bit farther. And for me, this is where this knowledge, understanding and wisdom comes from. And that has to come from God. It can't come from you. Because if you just keep pushing into that one step further, I mean, you're going to push yourself into isolation. Our natural wisdom is based off what we've learned. You know, there is a learning of wisdom. Like it it does say uh, in that Proverbs 1 that a, a wise man will hear and increase in learning. So here's what's interesting. A wise man will actually keep learning. Like they actually humble themselves even more to recognize there's, there's more out there. But to your point, like, let's just use that verse. Like the example, Paul says, if there's prophecy in the church, let, let there be prophecy. And when there's prophecy, let it be two or three. So not five or six, not seven or eight, not just as many want to prophesy two or three. And I found this interesting when we were in Bible school, they would ask, does someone, is God speaking to someone that they would want to come up and share? And it would be like this long pause. And then finally, someone will kind of come up and they were nervous about it. And they, they, they gave this, this word and it was kind of shaky, but it was right on. It was like, what was needed for that moment? And then it would be like, is there anyone else? And then someone else would kind of come up and it was a little more comfortable and, and they're sharing, and it was it was just what was needed. But by the time you get to the third and fourth and fifth person, it's just like the line just gets bigger and bigger and bigger because now everybody's bold. Hey, I got something to say. Hey, I can say it. Now, it doesn't mean that they don't have something to say, but the wisdom of that begins to go away. It's just everybody's finally gotten the courage to say whatever's going on in their mind. And it loses the essence of what was necessary in that moment. And so the wisdom was to limit it. It didn't mean, to your point, Tommy, the wisdom is the scenarios and the applications. Like to to one, when when Daniel was was told you can't pray, he just opens his windows and keeps doing his thing and prays, right? And that causes him to go to the lion's den. But Mordecai tells Esther, don't tell him who you are. Neither were contradictions. There was a wisdom to the moment based on what was needing to be done. And that is the thing that we have not grown in and understand. Because if Jesus is wisdom and it cries out in the streets, that means we have to have a humility to receive that wisdom to apply what we know and understand. And that's a much bigger picture. And it's also a deep maturity that takes place in us because it's very humbling at the same time. And to add to this point too, is when we're talking about Jesus, I think, I don't know, maybe you guys can touch on this a little bit more, but a big quote unquote enemy to Jesus was the Pharisees. Well, they had all the wisdom or they didn't have, they didn't have the wisdom. They had all the knowledge in the world. I mean, like some of these guys are quoting all of scripture they have it all down they're they're meditating they're doing all this but they didn't know the wisdom they didn't have the wisdom they didn't understand how to apply 
what they're reading. They could read it and they could preach it and they could live by it and have this code of ethics. But if they really understood, maybe some of those rules could be broken. Maybe some of those things weren't just need to happen to go to heaven or to experience God. Maybe some of those rules came along the way and maybe wisdom would be, I need to break this rule in this moment to actually touch and reach someone so that they can actually experience God in their life. I mean, cause they, they practiced the cleansing of the hands. When you, when you touch something unclean, you need to stay holy. I need to not touch them. Well, Jesus was up and touching people with gross, nasty, all sorts of infectious, disgusting stuff that you shouldn't even touch. And he was going and touching. Which, which interesting, he still had to be the perfect sacrifice. So if he were to do those things according to the Levitical law, it'd make him unclean unless he was the cleanser. So he had to walk in wisdom with that. He wasn't just random. He wasn't like, I'm so sick of the religious thought. I'm just going to do things to break religious thinking. I do not believe he thought like that because that wouldn't be wise because you're just going to do it out of rebellion and it won't work the same way. There's people now, I mean, there's people you've, you've seen them. It's like, man, I'm so sick of religion. I think church should be a different way. And so they just do it a different way, but it's not producing anything better. It just produces another group of people that wants to do things a different way. And then it just, it, it snowballs. It's not solve. It's not a, a wisdom in doing that. And I think we don't want, we're not looking for someone to just, to handle it that way, we want the wisdom to see it through. So here's something that just blew me away when, when I started studying it about how Jesus operated with law, but in the spirit. So there were laws of sacrifice. Like you had to do certain sacrifices, right? Like that's, you had to, like that's, that's part of it. But then Jesus comes along, and in Matthew 9, 13, he says this, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And it's a quote from Hosea. And that shows, and this is right after the Pharisees were coming to his disciples, like, why is your, why is your teacher with tax collectors and sinners and stuff? Sacrifice was required. It was required. And it, that requirement had to be met, and there's context to that. But the desire and the heart of God was never in sacrifice. It was never in burnt offerings. His desire, the goal, the point, what he wanted to see was mercy. And I think that's one of the examples of operating in wisdom when there's different circumstances around. Because, I mean, I, I don't... Hmm, I'm going to leave the specific example out of it for now. But think of something specific to where because of your beliefs, you're supposed to respond a certain way to a certain thing. Like maybe post something on Facebook about a certain thing because you're supposed to, it's the right thing to do. And it might be the majority of the time, but there might be a context to a time where you shouldn't post anything about this topic because of what's going to happen because of your post. That might be wisdom stepping in and saying, look, I know this is what you believe and this is the right thing but here's how to go about it in a way that's going to bring a better result than you think. And maybe if that example doesn't make sense, we can just cut that out. But Well, I have, 
I was just thinking about your point. Like we have a, it's not really a policy, but there's this conversation we've had with all of our staff. So our, pretty much everyone besides a new person we hired, they've been with us for seven, eight, nine years, whether in the program working for us or just working for us. So we, it's been amazing of what we've kept. We've, we brought in a new person two years ago, actually two, two years ago. And my policy was, especially dealing with an Asian culture that is a very shame-based, if I come in and bring correction, they will immediately agree, yes, we're going to do this and they'll still do something different because they, and then when you finally get to it, they had a good reason why they could do something different. And had they just brought it up, we probably would have just made the change, but culturally they won't say anything to me because I'm the head. And it got very frustrating. So I had to teach them how to bring good solutions. They respected me and we'd have to respect the final decision, but I needed to hear their feedback on issues that would work and, would, and wouldn't work so I can have their thought process. And it took a while to get there. And in that time, there was also mistakes they would be made and I would get frustrated with how they did that and it needed to be corrected. But then they became fearful of their job. So we created a policy that there's times that there needs to be a correction and you're not going to like the sit down correction. But in those moments, you don't have to fear for your job, fear for your pay, because we're going to deal with it. And so we're going to deal with it right away. So we don't have a problem that ends up snowballing into something that would have to demand that. And because of that, they knew if I was frustrated over something or something was done wrong and it needed to be handled and corrected, I could go and deal with it directly. There was no fear on them. It just was frustrating to deal with it. And then they had a chance to feedback. We got it resolved and then we moved forward. And so we had this kind of policy to remove the fear so we can deal with the problem. And we could pretty much nip everything in the bud. Well, we did have a scenario where one of the persons we hired, a, a, a situation happened that there was kind of this internal division starting to take place. And we were dealing with it and we were handling it, but it wasn't getting resolved. And what happened was it started stepping out into our program. And when it started stepping into affect our program and dividing, something had to happen. But in order for me to do this, I had to do it in a way that didn't create more division. Because if I say this person said this, I saw this, more division is going to take place. And so I was going to God and I said, God, I need the wisdom of how to stop this problem without creating more problems, but just bringing it to a closure as hard as it is in the most healthy manner that everyone can grow from it. Now, when I say that everybody has to choose to grow from it, but everybody can grow from it. And that I'm not speaking out of just pure frustration over this situation because it's going to ripple down into everything that's going on. So what I did is I sat them all down at a table and I just said, as of right now, all of you are fired. None of you are working for me anymore. And I said the reason why, and I said, I will not have division among our program. There's no point in doing this if we can't get that right. So rather than hurting them, we're going to step back and we, you, you're all, we're no longer part of the, the staff. And then I let it sit 
and I left. And I'm sitting there going, God, what did I just do? That was the dumbest thing I just did. We have all these things going on. And I, I'm kind of, but I knew it was the right thing to do. Then the next day, I called each one, one by one, and offered a job based on this is what we're going to do. This is what I see in you. Would you like an opportunity to do this? And then I rehired back everybody, except for the one person that was causing all the division in the group. And what I found is even with that one person, I did talk to him. And I said, I, I don't have a role for you right now. But there was no anger. There's no conflict. If I see that person, there's not anything. They knew this all needed to happen. But when they saw I was willing to get rid of everybody over this, it shook them. And now we're still have connection. Everything is good. The staff is totally on board. They totally get what happened and it was able to do it. And I, that was wisdom because I didn't know how to deal with that manner in a way without creating more division. Cause I'm going to have to say, well, this person said this, this person said this, and I, it just would not have solved the problem. This did. And that didn't come from me. That just came from wisdom of how to deal with issues going on. And we are still all together. It's just been amazing and even stronger and is, today. Is that not a modern example of, all right, bring out a sword. We're going to split the child in half. When you think about the humbleness of, man, that could completely affect all the work we've done over here. What if nobody wants to come back to work? What if it's, what if I just wrecked everything? Like you have all this weight on that. And I could think, I could think of Solomon. If Solomon gets this wrong, it's going to wreck his kingship. But you know what? I was praying that God can't be involved in the wisdom to run things in our lives. And we're still the ones doing it. So is that not being a, that's not taking on the responsibility he's given to us, the ownership of what he's given to us. That's, that's a real selfish motive. I'm going to damage other people because I don't want to feel bad, or I don't want to uh, deal with this. That's going to be the most healthy for everybody. So wisdom has a very selfless act to it. And it really felt that way because it really was quite a vulnerable situation, but it, it turned out amazing. I think we should get to the point here where I get to hear from your guys' perspective and wisdom on how do we get and or develop wisdom and not just knowledge and understanding because it's talked about a lot. I mean, I've heard that verse, uh, out of all the things you want to get, get wisdom. Heard that a lot. How, how do you actually get wisdom? And then even if you do get it, how do you develop it? James says, if any man lack, lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally. But I could say that all day long, but then we still walk away. I know, but I, how am I supposed to handle this situation? So maybe if we took some of the principles that we learned before of your emotions are not driving your decisions. Bring your emotions down in check. Two, it isn't about you in this situation. It's about what God wants to do in this situation. So now you're kind of humbling yourself to, it's not about you winning. It's about God getting done what he wants to get done. And then the willingness to the humbling on the other side is the willingness to step in to do the right thing, even if it feels awkward and uncomfortable. 
And we could train that. You can train those those responses. Then it makes it easier when wisdom comes to execute it. So I don't think it's a problem with us knowing what wisdom to do. It's the execution of that wisdom. All those other things get in the way. I would echo, I believe, what you're saying, Brian, is that wisdom comes with experience. And you can have the knowledge and have the foresight. But if you never actually apply that knowledge, you'll never gain the wisdom. And that first starts with exactly what you're saying is taking your emotions out of the picture, knowing your father, knowing who he is and living from his perspective and then actually doing something about it instead of just knowing those two. It's great if you know those two, but if you keep executing on what you know, those two things don't really matter. Because they're not going to get you anywhere. You're not going to get anywhere else, anywhere by executing on what you know and who you are outside of God. You first need to limit the emotions and go to your father and then do something. (laughs) That's good. And I think the coolest thing too is that doing something really builds that relationship, right? It's like a father. when he's training uh, a child how to ride a bike, it's like, okay, pedal. You got to actually start and let go for you to actually get going and learn how to do something. And you develop the trust and you develop the, the relationship. Part of it comes when you execute. If you never execute, that relationship will never be there. It'll just be nothing. It'll be, I know what to do, but I'm not going to do it. When we were talking about this, um, what came to mind for me was um, this quote by Theodore Roosevelt. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and no shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasm, who, who the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end that the triumph of high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least he fails daring greatly, so that in his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know the victory nor defeat. And I just think of that, it's wisdom that comes when you do, when you step out and when you put yourself into the danger of, I could lose, I could look like a complete fool, I could look like an idiot, or I can look like a champion. And that's exactly what Solomon did there, right? He took the wisdom, he took what God had told him, and he applied that. He could have looked like an absolute idiot and ruined the whole, his whole reign as king. Would have been ruined by one decision. But he stepped out and acted on the wisdom. And it set the groundwork for him going forward. And I I think just on a super like low level, I just, everything's kind of coming back to this low level of like, my job and what I'm doing now. Like I can train a sales call every day 
I can become the master of the script, but it's not until you pick up that phone and you're like, oh, what do I say to that? until you actually be, become proficient in your craft and actually begin to learn what other people are saying and how to respond to it. And I think applying that with your relationship with God is even more important because it can take you farther than just yourself. I think that might be a pretty good example because if there's a script and you just, you're really good at quoting the script from the experience and the wisdom, you might come across a call where you're like, Hmm, maybe I shouldn't go to this next line of the script, even though it's on the script. And I've been told to stick to the script because maybe that's not where the conversation is going right now. And I think that goes exactly back to the wisdom and knowing the word. And when you know the word, you begin to learn how to apply it. And going back to like the Pharisees, like they knew the word, but they didn't know how to apply it or they applied it in a wrong way. And that sometimes the application is what matters most, not just knowing the right thing. I mean, there's probably countless stories of people who knew the right thing, but you had to act in a different way to actually get that thing accomplished. Which brings us back to if, as a believer, we believe Jesus has been made unto us wisdom. And in Proverbs chapter two, it says, my son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom. So here's where the ownership of all this comes in. If you're in a situation you can't look and say, God, why aren't you doing something? You can actually step back. And I know this seems like to some people who feel like you're condemning me. I, it's not a condemnation. It's actually a freedom. If you own it saying, God, your wisdom was made unto me and I can't hear you. Will you help me hear you deal with these situations? Help me walk in your wisdom that you've already given to me. You're inviting the father to become part of that journey. If you look at it as a separate thing that he's going to do and you're over here and it's not your fault and all this stuff, you're stripping yourself from really becoming that wise, strong man that you were created to be. And so when I'm talking about ownership, even if it's a failure of how you handled it and you didn't do it right and you can find verses or you can find answers that you knew you went counter to, just own it invite the father to become part of it and start listening to what he's saying about you and re-navigating and wisdom will start flowing and you grow into that place you want to be, but it will begin with the ownership of it. Like what you just said, Tommy, you can keep just practicing and practicing and practicing, but if you don't just say, all right, I've been given everything I need to now go use it. And even if it feels like it punches you in the face, you keep using it and you learn how to navigate with that wisdom and you're owning it because you're allowing the training to come to pass, but we have to own it. We can't go around saying, well, I know God gives wisdom, but I don't really know what to do. So I'm going to go read a book. And I'm not saying you won't get insight from reading a book, but don't substitute someone else's wisdom for what God wants for your wisdom in that moment. That just becomes knowledge and understanding. Someone else's experience is knowledge and understanding, but that's not your wisdom for this scenario that you need to do. 
And I'm going to say too, when you don't own it, it doesn't become authentic to you. It's just a memorized script. And I, I mean, I've had this happen recently where, you know, I'm, I'm at work and I have the script. I know what I'm supposed to say. Well, what if someone calls you back and you don't have the script in front of you? What are you going to do? Are you going to hang up the phone? Are you going to, are you going to mumble your way through something? You're going to figure it out. And that's where it has to become a part of you. That's the ownership. It has to become your true authentic self. And that's when people, that's when the impact comes because people can see that in you and they can tell when you're genuine about something. And so I guess for me, I'm taking away this caution too of like, am I saying stuff that is not genuine to me? Have I owned that area in my life? How can I preach that to someone else or share that with someone else if that hasn't become owned in me? Because then it's not true. And that's going to get found out. I think hearing what you're talking about, Tommy, too, um, like when you're talking about the man in the arena, like he goes into the arena and he can become a champion or he can fail. And I think a huge part of the, about that is like the man who's entering the arena has to be humble enough to realize that both can happen, but he's still going to take the, like the faith it takes to step out and do it. And even in my own life, like we're always asking this question, oh, I don't have wisdom about what to do. Or like, what if I end up looking like a fool after this? And I think sometimes fear can even hold us back from like stepping out in faith to receive wisdom. Cause it was in that moment that Solomon got wisdom. Like he had asked God for it before, but then when the time came, he had it in the moment. And so I think there's a huge thing of like the humility to be like, God, I'm going to trust you. And even if I look like a fool, because like, even for Brian, like anybody looking on the outside of that situation could have been like, you fired your whole staff. Like, what are you stupid? Like, they're never going to come back to you. Your whole program's going to fall apart. But Brian was humble enough to be like, you know what? This is the wisdom I'm hearing from God. I'm going to trust him in this situation, step past like fear of anything that may happen and be like, take humility. And even in Proverbs, I'm pretty sure it says like humility come, becomes before, comes before wisdom and pride comes before fall. So it's like you have to choose humility first. Also, when you're stepping into these situations to be humble enough to trust God more than yourself, because I think that sometimes what holds me back is because I'm like, waiting to hear this like perfect answer that like I have for myself to do it when it really just needs to be me stepping out in humility and faith to trust God that he'll give me the wisdom for the situation. That's good stuff. The final thing on my mind here is, and this is actually probably something most of you don't need to hear because you already know this, but it's been on my mind for quite a while now tonight. But when we're talking about wisdom, wisdom is not an out from truth or an out from right and wrong. Wisdom is actually how we operate in truth and in the right when there is so much evil and wrong around us so that we don't go along with evil. And so we're not deceived by the evil around us, but we can actually navigate it in wisdom. But it's not an out from holding to the truth and from standards. And in that context, it's the most freeing and empowering thing ever because then you're not worried if the information and knowledge you have is more than the information and knowledge coming against you because that doesn't matter in those moments. 
your guys's assessment and this this conversation about wisdom i don't think we talk about it enough because it really is the catalyst to how we utilize everything from the gifts from the things god has given us to how do we navigate life how do we navigate our jobs how do we navigate that there is there's always the right answer but the way about getting to that right answer and delivering it is often it can't be just a, it's not cookie cutter it is so not cookie cutter but it's not based in fear it's based in wisdom it's based in the the way and most of the time it's a very it's not simple like a simpleton like a like like a childish it is simple because it is so impactful and i i like caleb how you laid out some of the things to let go and tommy and jason the, the great topic line i'm going to leave this with uh first corinthians 2 verse 6 uh through 8 it says however we speak wisdom among those who are mature yet not the wisdom of this age nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. See, if they would have known that their actual crucifying to get rid of Jesus was the thing that empowered everyone who would believe in him. So man's way of dealing with things doesn't understand the much bigger thing. And as humans, our old man without God, we can't see beyond into impacts beyond what our decisions make now. But God's wisdom not only deals with your situation, but it deals with things long-term in the future that we may not even have. They have much bigger implications. And that's a powerful thing that we're part of. That is a huge responsibility that he's given to us and he entrusts with us. So with that said, begin the steps of first just getting to know God. Get him to know him as your father and let him interact with you. And listen to these things that are being talked about because we've all walked through this and we've all been navigating. We're still learning. We're still navigating, but we got to get off the bench and start getting into the game. Even if it feels like you're striking out all the time, just start swinging the bat and then find people around you to start, start moving forward with. And you'll start seeing this starting to take place as you move aside from your old selfish, what about me thinking into it's not about me, it's about something bigger. You will start seeing that flow into the lives around you. And with that said, thank you for tuning in. We want to hear your comments and your feedback and topics that you want to hear. You can leave the comments uh, in any podcast uh, platform that you're using or on social media. And with that, keep the faith and stay in the fight.